I'm coming to your cities. I recently did an event in New York. It was awesome. I loved bringing real couples up on stage. We had no idea what was going to happen. The crowd loved it. I was sharing real numbers. It was a blast. And I want to do it again. I'm looking to coach couples on stage at my next two live events, one in Philly on June 1st, one in Boston on June 4th. If you and your partner want help connecting over money, you want to solve a big financial challenge you have, please apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. If you and your partner struggle to come up with a shared vision of your rich life, if you have different priorities about spending and saving, if you just can't get on the same page financially, I would love to coach you live on stage in your city. It is free of charge. You can apply at iwt.com slash live coaching. I'll see you in Boston and Philly. You know, money doesn't have to be boring. I get a lot of questions of people who have set up their accounts, who have money being saved, and they're like, what now? What's next? How am I supposed to design my rich life? That is why I created the journal. The journal is something you can do either on your own or with a partner. Imagine yourself 15 minutes in the morning, you have a cup of steaming tea, and you're sitting down following the prompts that help you envision what your rich life is. What's your perfect week? What's your perfect month, year? This journal is designed as a no numbers journal. It's not technical, but it's going to help you understand what you truly value and also what you don't care about. I recommend you pick up a copy of this journal. You can do it solo or with a partner and it will help you design your rich life. Get it at any bookstore now. I was running late from work and showed up at the office and she was having a conversation with him. And the first thing he was talking about as I sat down was how to manage credit card debt. Now that she had $10,000 of credit card debt. And I was like, you have $10,000 of credit card debt? I thought I could fix it for a long time. I kept telling myself, why bring somebody else into this space when it's so awful? I don't want anybody else to feel like this. I just kind of felt like my trust was rocked for those first two weeks. Like I just kind of felt violated. And it wasn't even my money. If we want to have a family together and grow together, like this can't happen anymore. I'm Ramit Sethi, and this is the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. My guests today are Dan and Jordan. Dan earns $125,000 a year, and Jordan earns $60,000 a year. And for the most part, I don't really think about money that much, or at least that's what Dan thought, right up until the moment when he discovered Jordan was keeping $10,000 in credit card debt from him. And it wasn't the first time. Let's listen in. We were meeting with our financial advisor for the first time and had shared it in that space. I was running late from work and showed up at the office and she was having a conversation with him. and. The first thing he was talking about as I sat down was credit card debt and how to manage credit card debt now that she had $10,000 of credit card debt. And I was like, you have $10,000 of credit card debt? Like how? And in those type of conversations, like he obviously was like, you didn't know this. I didn't want to have that conversation there. Like I wanted to keep it progressing and focus on everything we were there to accomplish and if it happened, we need to figure out a way forward. I think what was jarring to me is that technically we are married and like a good tenant of a good marriage or a good relationship period is communication. And the fact that 
that didn't even get shared with me because a lot of the debt was from our wedding. Our parents were very gracious with us and generous on wedding related costs. And I thought net net, like we were good. I had even invested a little bit in, in advance of the wedding and made some off the stock market and threw it towards the wedding. Like I thought we were, we had nothing. So that was really surprising to me because I never wanted to go in debt for a wedding. Like I just thought that was outrageous. So hearing that not only caught me off guard, but it was kind of like, why wouldn't you just share this with me? Yeah, it's so horrifying. Honestly, I kept it a secret because I thought I could fix it for a long time. I had an idea in my head that I'd be able to do it on my own. I also had this, I think, fear about what the reaction would be. And I think after so long, it just was a part of me. And I knew how much it impacted me emotionally that I was worried about what and how it would impact Dan in long run. Like, it's going to suck either way. And it sucked either way. Um, but I had this idea in my head. I had one of those invisible money scripts in my head that I'd fix it. Um, and I went through it for a long time of like, I can fix it. I can fix it. I'll get it down. It's not a big deal. That, I think, is that in a nutshell, is that I really thought that I could do it myself and that I didn't need help from anybody else. The best predictor of your future behavior is your past behavior. So I suspected this wasn't a one-time thing. And usually when you see people behaving in a peculiar way with money, it's not the first time. By the way, this is true in many different parts of life. There's a great book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And he talks about how when violent crimes happen, inevitably, the local news will go out there, interview the neighbors, and they'll always say the same thing. He was such a nice guy. And then more times than you can believe, they'll do a little bit of investigation, a little bit of digging, and you'll find out there was a history of unusual or destructive or even criminal behavior. By the time you notice something is really off, it's almost never the first time. Now, I highly recommend that book. It's called The Gift of Fear. And you can actually search for Ramit book recommendations to find out more of my favorite books. Let's see if my suspicions here are correct. The second go around was when we were applying for our mortgage or applying for approval for our mortgage, lending our lending application. And so both times were, they came out with in, in other places. So not like me, like finally, like coming to my knees or, you know, like coming to the ground to be like, Hey, this is happening. This is hard. And they came out in, in, you know, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if public ways is the right way to say it, but in spaces involving other people where that information was then like disclosed or brought up from from those spaces. Do you think that makes it different that it involved other people? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The impact of it is more felt maybe more weighted because it, I didn't come to him initially, right? Like I didn't come to say, "Hey, I'm having a really fucking hard time. I'm in debt. I've accrued this debt. Like I need help." So we put Jordan on a good track record of like, okay, let's let's move this debt over to a 0% interest credit card for a year. Let's figure out how you can ship away at it and eventually like get this down to zero. She was making great progress on it. Like I think, what was it, Jordan? For like two years, you got it down from what, like $12,000, $10,000 to six? Yep. So like she did a great job. I think it was really frustrating looking forward to uh, when we were submitting letting applications is that it came again. And like, I knew there wasn't any like big purchases happening or anything along those lines. And 
I just kind of felt like my trust was rocked in the form of really like not disclosing that since we had already been through it before. And the fact of like putting thousands of dollars again back into the credit card, which is the worst debt that you can have and not sharing about it when we're putting massive documents out there to get approved for lending. Like that's an issue for me, especially since I was the one putting up all of the money for a home. So like I can forgive you on the first time I can forgive you on the second time, but like, I can't like as a family, if we want to have a family together and grow together, like this can't happen anymore. And like, we, <laughs> like, we're not rich people right now. I mean, like, in terms of how you define it, like, yes, we're doing pretty well for our age. But at the end of the day, like, we can't really afford that going forward, especially like when you think of, so her parents were going to give us some money for a down payment or something. That money in conversation after this, we put towards the credit card to get rid of all of that rather than putting it in towards a, a home that would probably appreciate what maybe like four percent a year or something along those lines like it just didn't make sense so take that out of the equation now it's like 100 me putting anything into this down payment plus anything that needs to go into the home so it's heavy yeah. but like we talk a lot about it and we i think we've worked through it pretty well but for those first two weeks like i just kind of felt violated and it wasn't even my money Notice the language that Dan is using here. He said, my trust was rocked. This can't happen again. And I felt violated. This is a huge issue in their relationship. Now, if you were in my role, what would you do right now? Where would you take the conversation? My instinct is telling me something here. It's telling me to dig deeper. And it's telling me that they don't fully understand the implications of what's going on right here. You know, I've talked to lots of people and they'll say, oh yeah, this is a big deal. This is a nine out of 10. And the other partner will agree. But when I probe to see if they really understand what's at stake, that sometimes they are weeks away from potentially ending the relationship. The other partner is totally stunned. Most people don't truly appreciate the consequences of their actions on their partner. The first time I was just more like, surprised than anything. And I saw it as more of like a teachable moment. The second time it was just like, we're married. Like we have great communication with one another and we share everything with each other. So like, why couldn't you share this with me? The emotionality of it for me and the matter of factness of it for him is so striking for us all the time. And not for us, I guess, for me, for sure. Everything I do is with an emotion. I don't have an off switch. I am constantly assessing other people's emotions, my emotions. I'm worried about other people's emotions. I was so sick about what would happen or what Dan's reaction would be. I knew it would be awful. I knew how disappointed he would be. I'm not buying it. Remember what I say. People with money problems love to talk about their money problems. But it's not enough to talk about your problems. It's not even enough to admit you have a problem like Jordan just did when she admitted she knew it would be awful. This is where people commonly make a mistake. They'll say things like, I get it. I totally screwed up by showing up late again. Or I know I need to stop overspending on the credit card. 
Guys, admitting a problem is a good first step, but it's just the first step. Especially when a partner is involved, they need to see change, not just hear words. I want to probe how Jordan is feeling about this. I think she's using a lot of words, but I still don't really understand how this is affecting her. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences, coffee tours, salsa-making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman, and this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook, and let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams, so my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts, unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to mark it unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash that's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. So shitty. Guilt. I mean, I guess still some guilt, but better. Oh, I was going to might get up. See, I'm going to get emotional. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. Sorry. It's a hard to think about um, having... Like to compare, like to hear how unequal they are is hard. But for the first time, I feel like not, yeah, like it's not heavy and that there's a chance, you know, like that I have a chance to do better. Feel it, that feels better and okay. I mean, I haven't been able to say that, you know, like prior, I haven't, I haven't been able to actually look at what I have without seeing a deep dark hole 
it was hard to have to unload it onto other people. It's still hard to have to have done that, right? Like to let other people into that hole. When I go back and think about how it came, how the information came out, like how it finally came to be, I I regret it, but I also I don't I don't know how I would have been able to have gotten to that point. Otherwise, I really don't, and that's so scary to think about. It really is. It's so horrifying to think about as a partner it's and being someone who's solution oriented like there's no way that i can't just like not help her through this and try to make it more approachable and we've had those conversations like we talked about previously of like okay how do we make this a where you can be a little bit more vulnerable and i can help answer questions to make it better but at the end of the day like it's still it's just a tough scenario you know like it's and it's still relatively new even though it happened once previously yeah one of the things i'm hearing from you dan is that it sounds like you are willing to engage have discussions understand her perspective but also you need this problem to not happen again At this point, I was feeling a little stuck. I had hoped to get them to talk about what the consequences of this behavior would be on their relationship. Instead, we sort of got sucked back into this black hole of how she feels bad. And that's very common. Again, people with money problems love to talk about their money problems. At a certain point, it almost becomes intoxicating. You cannot escape it. And yet you have Dan over here, who's being very matter-of-fact, very cool about it. And that can be very dangerous to the relationship. So I was feeling stuck. I decided I'm going to zoom out, see if I can figure out what their worldview of money is. When you think about money, what's the first word that comes to mind for you? Oh, I associate my mom with money. Bingo. I didn't expect that. But boy, oh boy. Is that a clue? What word comes to mind when you think about your mom and money? A lot of it. She had a lot of money? Has. Has a lot of money. Okay. I think right now that's what I think of. If you would ask me a couple of weeks ago and you'd said money, I would have said something probably really dark. Like what? You no. Know, God, like black death. Like... um really yeah dark like it was off um heavy heavy i would have said heavy i think a lot about how i how i was raised with money or how i wasn't you know we didn't talk about it my mom there's still some secrets between in their relationship and i see a lot of that it's gone i don't have it anymore i don't have debt anymore why what happened because my mom paid it off Jordan just went off on a long digression about money and Dan. And then right at the end, she mentioned that she used to have debt and that it magically got paid off. I was like, what? You know, my sister's a doctor and there's a running joke in the medical field that you sit down with your patients and you ask them what's wrong and they go, nothing, doc. I feel fine. You know, it's just, I'm a little tired sometimes. So you talk for 15 minutes and then as they're walking out, They have one foot literally outside the door. They turn around and go, oh, by the way, doc, you know, I can't breathe at night and my head started bleeding two days ago and both of my feet are totally swollen. Anyway, thanks for the Tylenol prescription. Uh, Talk to you next time. 
This happens to me all the time. Like this. Why? What happened? Because my mom paid it off. How were you raised as it relates to money? I always had it. Mm -hmm. Always had it. I could always ask for it. It was always there. Mm -hmm. And who brought in the money in your family? My mom. Your mom. And what about your dad? Did he work? He had a lot of seasonal jobs. Um, He had had a full-time job at one point and then got pretty sick and so wasn't able to do that. And so there's a lot, there were a string of sort of incidents that led to him being unemployed for a long time and then trying to find work and not being able to find work. So money is a pretty sensitive, it's a sensitive topic in my family, but it's also a very open topic as well. What do you mean? We talk about it, but it's touchy. How they, how my parents spend it, who spends it. Well, yeah. I think you need to go a level deeper on it too. Cause like her parents were raised very differently. Like yeah. her mom, her mom's family was like grew up in corporate America. Like her mm-hmm. grandfather was like a staple of the community. Her dad's side of the family was dirt poor. Mm-hmm. So like when you put those two together, that's very much how their relationship is today. So like mm-hmm. her mom is the breadwinner. Her dad is basically retired early and kind of just takes care of the community around him. And he's kept that, uh, I grew up poor mindset, so I can't spend this money. And there's so there's a, a couple levels to why her mom doesn't necessarily share things with her dad, because her dad would just go crazy about it. He's possessive of how it's spent, who spends it, who gets it. I think about this a little bit in, in sort of our relationship too, babe. It's just like, it, it's... I don't make a lot of money. My dad didn't make a lot of money. Dan and my mom are very similar. My dad and I are very similar. That I think money for my dad and I is emotional. It or can be emotional in the sense that I think a lot about the way he uses or doesn't use money is is they, it, it's so varied. It's so varied. Yeah. So so I guess from that perspective, the sensitive thing, right? So it's we talk about it, him and, you know, we'll be in conversations with my parents and we talk about money with them. And then it just, but then it, it, it depends. It's very delicate. So my dad needed a new car at some point and um, has never owned a brand new vehicle. Mom had said, you know, what kind of car do you want? Right. My dad loves a G wagon. It's like his dream car. And my mom's like, great, let's get you a G wagon. You want a G? We can get you a G wagon. Absolutely. I mean, couldn't. So now he's driving my 2004 Ford Escape that has a cracked windshield and the engine, you know what I mean? He was just, you couldn't, he could not possibly imagine having put money into a car. I see. It sounds like your mom would have easily been able to afford that and he wanted it, but he just couldn't bring himself to accept that. Is that correct? Yep. And I've, been in occasions or conversations with my mom where we talk about like, is this something that we tell dad? Do we not? Dan's been there too, where we're like, oh, do we tell him? Do we not tell him? Like how, if we do tell him, how do we tell him? Do we tell him all of it? Do we not? Because what, if you tell him we're going to go buy this expensive thing, what, how's he going to react? I wish you could see my facial expressions. Whoever's listening. Dicey. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any deeply hurt? It hurt. That's a good one. Hurt. Deeply, deeply hurt and angry. Why? He's a very emotional guy. Because he wasn't consulted. Yeah. And he didn't have a say in it. He's not involved. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Even though he's not the breadwinner. Yeah. 
It's irrelevant. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you walk on eggshells when it comes to financial things. You find it difficult to bring certain things up. You actually strategize about what to yeah. bring up and what not to bring up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to venture to guess that you have probably forgotten on a couple of occasions and something slipped out and he got angry, mad. Can you think of an example like that? Okay, this is it. This is the clue. Remember a few minutes ago when I asked you, what would you do if you were me? Now, as you're hearing what Jordan is saying about how she was raised, would you change your answer? What we're hearing right now is the crux of what's driving Jordan's behavior, her overspending, and more importantly, her hiding of money. Can you hear it? Jordan, do you think there are any cultural issues and or gender issues mm, with oh yeah oh gender for sure talk to me about those mm. my dad is a macho i mean i think there's a lot that goes into him not making the money in our family as a male i think that there's a lot of sensitivity to the fact that he doesn't provide for the for our family in some sense right he provide and and I think what's so fascinating is that, so I'm a psychologist. I mean, mental health is my game. Like I self-analyze the hell out of everybody. Um, And I think so often about my dad provides in so many other ways. He really does. He, I mean, he is the backbone of our family for so many reasons that aren't bringing in money or having a job. But I think it cuts him in pieces. He worries very much so that my mom will leave him, you know, like that, that there's this other mysterious person out there that my mom could be with, right? You know, like, why is my mom with him? Why, or why is your mom with me? Right? Like, I don't bring anything to the table. What is, you know, why am I doing, why are we still together? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Go on. He'll say that in spaces. Yeah. Yep. Pretty openly, I think. Yeah. I think there's, I think that there, if anything, is there, there, there's definitely gender roles. I think the gender things play into it very much. Here's what I'm noticing. Jordan grew up in a dynamic where she was trained to walk on eggshells around money. She literally strategized about what to say and what not to say. If you learn from a young age that money issues are secretive and shameful, it's almost no surprise that Jordan has grown up to keep financial secrets to herself and her partner. And these are secrets that carry strong negative emotions. Imagine that from a young age, when you see money, you don't just see a $5 bill. You have an entire extra layer that rings in your head. Should I talk about this? Will dad get mad? I should probably just be quiet about this and not mention it to anybody. It's constant. It's ever present. And after a few years, it's just a low level buzzing in the back of your head anytime money comes up. You may think you're good, but deep down, this is like a tiny needle that's pressing on your skin every day for 25 years. You've just learned to live with it. A few years ago, I was at a tea tasting in New York with one of my buddies. I thought it was going to be a normal tea tasting. Suddenly, six people from Japan come in. They pour basically three thimblefuls of tea and we taste it. I've never tasted anything like that. And they tell us, If we were to buy that, just the three thimblefuls, it would be $75. Now, drop for drop, that's the most expensive thing I've ever had to drink. Not all of us have the time or the money 
to buy that specific tea from that specific mountainside in Japan. But what if you could capture that feeling of the care and the love, even the way that they served it to us? What if you could bring that to your home every morning? Well, I want to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, Peak Tea. What makes Peak Tea special is that the tea is cold extracted using only wild harvested leaves from 250-year-old tea leaves. That makes the tea rich in minerals and other beneficial compounds. Now, the greatest part is that Peak Tea is zero prep. There's no tea bag that you have to steep for the perfect amount of time. Peak dissolves in cold or hot water in seconds. It's already pre-measured, it's perfectly brewed, and it's perfect to take if you travel. My team's been trying Peak Tea, and they especially love the Pu'er green teas. For a limited time, get up to 15% off and a free quiver with 12 tea samples with my link, peaklife.com slash Ramit. That's P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E dot com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. I have a friend of mine who's always cold. She told me she and her partner have totally different temperatures when they sleep. She goes to bed in a flannel pajama. She's got extra blankets. Her partner's running hot. So now she recently started testing the pod cover from 8sleep, one of our sponsors. Before she goes to sleep, she gets on the app, cranks up the heat, and when she gets into bed at night, it's already warm and waiting for her. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on your bed like a fitted sheet. And it collects information. It has sensors. The pod then uses that information to understand what you need to get better sleep. You can set it to heat up or cool down before you get into bed. It also adjusts while you sleep. And you can set it to change temperatures to gently wake you up in the morning. Best part, there are two zones. So if you run hot and your partner runs cold, you can each set your side of the bed to exactly how you want it. Improve the way you sleep by using my link at 8sleep.com slash Ramit for $200 off plus free shipping on their high-tech Pod 3 cover. That's 8sleep.com slash Ramit, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T, for a better, smarter sleep. At one point, probably the second go around, I would look at my credit card statement. And I would say, well, I've already got this much, so I might as well just keep on going. Or I've already got this much. There's nothing that I can do here. There's nothing that I can do that's going to make this better. So why bother? Or why bring somebody else in? Right? I think that was a big one for me that I kept telling myself is why bring somebody else into this space when it's so awful? Um, why, why do I need to bring somebody else into this? It's already awful for me. I don't want anybody else to feel like this. I didn't want anybody to feel what I was feeling. I felt awful. Yeah. And to have somebody else feel that way didn't feel like an option. I'll give you a, a real life example. So I got charged extra for this Massage Envy membership that I have. And I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I just read my meat's book. I'm about to call them and I'm about to get my money back. And I'm going to cut, like, I'm about to cut them up. Right. And it didn't work. I, I caved quick, real fast. So I'm, I try, I'm trying, I think like the more that I can get into it and the more that I can familiarize myself with the, the terms and the knowledge and that stuff, I certainly have more of a drive to do it than I did before. I, I can say that 100%. I think one of my invisible money scripts was, I can't do this. 
Yeah. I can't do this. It's well, too overwhelming. You you said to me yourself that you are a an emotional person and the way you said it was almost as if to relinquish control. Yeah. I'm an emotional Does person. That. Uh, therefore I'm not good with money. Yes. And can you think of anyone else in your life who's emotional and not good with money? I mean my dad, but he's still good with money. He just doesn't use it. Does that count? I guess. <laughs> Would you describe him as good with money? No, because he doesn't use it. Yeah, so oh, he's no. actually not good with money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got me. Yep, 100%. Yep. You're living out the programming of growing up with your family as trite as it is, mm-hmm. but it's no surprise. Yeah, yeah. And when I hear you talking about the anxiety you felt about even bringing it up mm-hmm. because as you said, you spent 50% of the time on yourself, 50% of the time on Dan and add those up. You were a hundred percent preoccupied with what would he say? Mm-hmm. That fear becomes so looming. It suddenly becomes its own problem. And what do we do when we encounter problems? Most of us are not solution oriented. It takes a lot of work to become solution-oriented. So most of us, when we encounter the problem the first time, we do the same thing everybody else does. We run away. So I can see why the first time it happened. That I understand. The second time is much trickier. I want to dig into this idea because you've both mentioned potentially having a family at some point. And this seems like a really important issue to get corrected before that happens. Uh, Adding that kind of complexity with a child or children would be very, very challenging. I think short-term right now, we're trying to buy a house. So a house for sure. Long-term, I think travel's a big one for us and wanting to be able to travel without worrying about the without having to worry, you know, that we can just pick where we want to go and we can go. And where do you want to go? Oh, okay. Well, it was on our, I mean, I want it with Spain. I think is the next one we got to Spain. So a house and travel. Very good. Dan, what about you? I mean, the house is the biggest piece for us right now, just because we live it every single day, especially in this crazy market. Like that top one, two, and three for us at the moment, just because we're so engulfed in it. I think like two for me is I see it as more of kind of like a a step after the house is having a kid. Do you guys save together? No. Mm-mm. Do you invest together? No, nope. I haven't gotten there. Okay. Do you know why you don't save and invest together? All my money was going towards debt and I couldn't, I was keeping that a secret. And so to have those things together meant that somehow that was, I I saw a connection between, that was my, that's my initial thing. Nope, that's not it. She thinks that's it, but that's not it. That first time when we walked in the financial advisor's office and I learned of all the debt that she never shared with me. So like that kind of made me feel some sort of way. One of the principles that I want to share with both of you is something I I really crystallized when I went on our honeymoon. You might remember this story from episode four of the podcast, where I sat down with John and Wendy to teach them about the importance of both having skin in the game 
if they want to play together. Skin in the game. It means if you go on a trip, everybody who comes needs to plan at least something, even if it's just bringing the sunscreen. If you haven't heard that episode yet, go back and listen to it for the full story so that you understand this rule. But essentially, the key principle here is that one way to get buy-in is to make everybody have to put a little skin in the game. If you're bringing someone along with you in whatever part of life, they need to put some skin in the game. Now, I think that there's an opportunity for both of you to do the same thing here. One of the reasons that you both are not saving and investing beyond the secret debt and beyond all these things is that neither of you have anything you're actually saving for. Everything you're saving for is really boring. Did you hear it? Do you guys remember what you told me? Yeah. I'm pretty excited about this house for me. The house is cool. Okay. I'm sure it's a beautiful house. I'm, I'm sure it's great. What about the future kid? What about it? I thought Spain was nice. What, what about the kid? You didn't tell me anything about what you want to spend the money on. You did indicate that it was going to be a male, which I don't appreciate. But <laughs> no, I didn't. That's neither. Yes, you did. You said he, and he, we can roll the tapes oh. back, but that's neither here oh, nor there. Bad. Well, okay. We can talk about the gender stuff later, but <laughs> I have to tell you, Dan, I'm not excited by saving for a kid. What, what are you going to spend the money on for your son or daughter? All right, you got me. Some J's. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not trying to get anybody. I'm trying to get your dreams out on paper so that you both have a reason to save together. And when you do this, Dan and Jordan, you're not going to have to push each other, which is, I found is a really losing battle, especially when you're at divergent levels of expertise and interest, but rather you're going to be pulled towards the things that create your rich life. So I want to do a different exercise this time because I was bored by what you told me. Oh, I want to travel. So does everybody. I want to breathe oxygen. You got anything else for me? Let's dream a little bigger. So instead of a couple of things that you're interested in, I want to ask you both to take 30 seconds and I want you to think about your bucket list items. The amazing things you want to do or accomplish. And it could be individual. It could be joint together. Take 30 seconds. I want to have multiple properties in different cities for us to be able to travel to. So like, I would love to retire well before 65 and have a, a couple different properties that I could either, that we could either Airbnb on the side and then enjoy with friends and family if we want to go visit the city. For example, like I would love to have a house in Savannah. I'd love to have a place in New Orleans, another spot in Minneapolis, et cetera. Fantastic. Way more compelling. I love this. So you have this concept, you have multiple properties and they're big enough that you could go with friends. You could let them stay while you're not there. You could Airbnb it out for a little extra cash. And what age do you want to retire at? Man, I'd love to retire at like 55. Great. Okay, this is a vision. 55, you're driving around to the, oh, let's go to New Orleans today. Ah, you know what? Minneapolis tomorrow. That's a rich life. Okay, hold on to that. I love that. Jordan, what about you? I have two. One's together, one's individual. Together goal, 
I, and I hope you're not going to think this is boring, man. I want to take Dan to Italy. I want to do a full on like top to bottom train trip of Italy. Like start at the top, start in Milan, Cinque Terre, come down to Florence, Siena, do the whole Chianti region. The South's a little scary sometimes, but I want to take like an entire, I just want to go top to bottom Italy together. And actually I'd like to bring my family too. I like traveling with our family. I, I think it'd be a great time. I'd like to bring my family along, our families along and do an entire top to bottom Italy, full court appetizers. I want the appetite. I want the cheese board and plate. I want the bottle of wine. I want all that. I want that. I love it. I am inspired and my mouth is watering. Okay, hold on. I, I got to ask a few questions because this, this is the kind of trip that I'm living for. How long is this trip in your mind? A month. A month. Okay, so that means both of you take a month off of work, whatever work is, to do it. Yep. Great. It, it definitely can't be less than a month. Oh, at least a month. Beautiful. Yeah. And you seem to know all the cities that you want to go to. You know that you want appetizers. You know the kind of food and drinks you want. Is there anything else in the back of your head you know, I, I'm going to do this? In Italy? Yeah. It's got to be in the summer. Great. Summertime. I would like even like, a, oh, those, what are those like boats that you get to take? The gondola. gondola. I definitely want a gondola involved there. Oh, the Amalfi Coast. That's the other one. You got to hit the Amalfi Coast. And do um, you know, like I think you wrap at the Amalfi Coast on the beach where you're relaxing, yeah. right? Or like you spent all that time hustle bustle, all the cities up top, mid regions, Chianti. So you tar- you catch your breath there, and then you hit the Amalfi Coast at the end to like top it off, cherry on top. Who's coming with you? How many people? I think oh, two of a- I I might even I I'd be intrigued to like bring people in and out. You know, like we say, hey, we're going for the month, right? We're going for one month. This is where we're gonna be. Hop in, hop out. It's like one of those hop on, hop up bus tours. I love it. Dan, what do you think about this trip? This sounds fantastic. Did you know about this idea that uh, uh, Jordan has had? She's always wanted to take me back to Italy because that's where she studied abroad for six months. So like it, it, it holds a very special place in her heart. And my extent of traveling to Europe was like the UK for a week. So I've always wanted to go. Okay. Okay, you guys, this is exciting. This is visionary. This is the kind of stuff that gets you both a reason to talk about money regularly, to learn about the mechanics of money, and to start investing early and consistently. You know, it's great because... One of the things I wanted to emphasize on our call today is that nothing wrong with having emotions about money. And I've had to learn this. I grew up very utilitarian, practical. Like I said, I want to get to the model. The model does not have any emotional turmoil. It's just math. It's so simple. But what I've learned is money is emotional. It's psychological. It's rooted in our childhood. Nothing wrong with that. But you also have to apply a level of mastery to the mechanics of it. It's just like driving, right? It can be scary, but you need to learn how to drive. Great. How do you feel about learning about personal finance? Better. I feel 
capable, capable and competent to take in information and ask questions about the things that I don't understand. Yes. Beautiful. You trust yourself. Yeah. This is a new language you're learning. Of course, it's going to be hard. You make mistakes. You're going to trust yourself. And you have Dan who's really experienced, totally aligned with you. So if you have questions, you can ask him and bounce it right. Another thing is you are emotional about money. And so am I. And so is Dan. That can be a strength when you balance it with this new knowledge that you're going to get from reading the book and practice. Yeah. yeah I love the, uh, the metaphor of like, it's a new language, like learning a new language. It feels like that. That's, that is, that resonates a lot. Awesome. I think there's this, such a stigma in talking about money and I know that firsthand. And so this, I think was another nice step for me in the space of like being able to naturally talk about money. This was an interesting conversation. There is still a lot for Jordan to unpack about how she was raised around money. There's also a lot for both Dan and Jordan to construct in their new joint way of looking at money. But one of the things you heard me do just in the last few minutes is to really shift them away from talking about their problems, which exist and are real and definitely need to be addressed, and to start talking about what they want to do with their money. In other words, it's typically a very bad strategy to sit there and only talk about problems. It's also a horrible strategy to tell people, you got to stop that. That berating people does not work. I found it's way more compelling to help people construct their own vision of a rich life and then teach them the foundations. Learn how a Roth IRA works. Learn your debt payoff date. And when you combine those two things, this beautiful rich life vision plus the basic foundations and mechanics of money, you're on your way towards a rich life. Here's what you'll find next week on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. I hate it because I know we're paying so much interest right now here and there, and it's all money that we could actually be paying off the debt and putting aside and saving to actually buy things, not credit, and you know, or save so we can go to a trip or save for a future cottage or this or that. Instead, we're just, I feel like we're throwing money out the window. When she asks me for stuff, I want to say yes, right? She's my wife, I love her, I want to please her. If you ask me where I want to be in a year, hopefully I'll be here, but might not, right?